Have you ever said something that you should not have said? Kind of a rhetorical question, right? Because everyone's like, yes, of course, I have said something I should not have said. And, and it comes out of your mouth, and you just can't take it back. You're like, oh, I should not have said that. And, and sometimes when we do that, when we say something that we should not have said, we get confronted about it. Maybe it's uh, our spouse, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a friend. Uh, you should not have said that. Why did you say that? And, and then what in, when it comes time to respond, what do we often say? I didn't, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. You know, I was, I was upset. I, I'm hangry. You know, I haven't eaten enough food uh, today. I have low blood sugar. Or maybe I've had too much, I had too much to drink and I said something that I should not have said. Or I was... I was tired. I didn't, I didn't mean it. And, and when she is considering uh, this phrase, I didn't mean it, there's a, a therapist and an author named Andrea Matthews. She says, saying we didn't mean what we just said or did is a way of dodging a bullet. If we didn't mean what we said or what we did, who did? Because someone or something within us meant for us to do or say what we did or said, or we wouldn't have done it or said it. How is it that we behave in ways that don't mean anything to us at all? Why would we bother to behave in a manner that was utterly useless or had no value whatsoever to us? No. Every single behavior or word has meaning to us. We are in the third week of this series called Following Jesus, where we are learning about the, I wouldn't say the four essentials, but four essential practices or ways of what it means to be a person who is genuinely, authentically following after Jesus, where we are submitting our lives to Jesus and saying, you, you are in charge. You are my Lord, you are my master, and you're the one who has saved me and rescued me, so you have authority over my life. So the first couple weeks, we looked at delighting in Jesus, uh, saying, uh, delighting in Jesus. Second week, we looked at dis- disciplining ourselves for Jesus. We saw that delight and discipline, they go together, that delight in Jesus is like the, it's the love and the passion that fuels us as disciples of Jesus, and discipline is like the, the engine that sustains and matures and focuses our passion and enjoyment of Jesus. But, but when we think about delight and we think about discipline, we, we might ask, well, how do we know how can we be sure that we are growing in our enjoyment or our delight in Jesus? Now, how do we know if, if the ways that we're disciplining ourselves are actually having some kind of effect in, in us? And so I think in a very real sense, the way that we can tell what is happening to us internally, what's going on inside is by what is expressed externally, what comes out of our lives. So, so we're going to finish this series by looking at two external expressions of following Jesus, declaring Jesus and displaying Jesus through our words and through our actions. So what Miss Matthew said earlier is right. Every single word 
Every single behavior has meaning to us. So what we say and what we do, it is a reflection of what is real inside of us, what our internal reality is or the the core of who we are. So we should be saying, we did mean it. And then asking, why is it that we, we said or did something? Why did we mean that? And so today, we are going to focus on declaring Jesus through our words, through the things that we say and communicate with our language or our speech. So following Jesus means that we speak of Jesus and our speech reflects Jesus. So in order to declare Jesus, to speak of Jesus, we have to love Jesus, we have to know Jesus, we have to prioritize Jesus, and then we will speak of Jesus. So to help us see this, we're going to go to a passage in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 12. It's on page 817 if you're using one of the Bibles on the table back there. Matthew chapter 12, we're going to read verses 33 through 37, and the verses will be up on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 12, beginning of verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. This is God's word. Would you pray with me once more? Father, we are coming to you now, we're coming uh, to, to submit ourselves and to surrender ourselves, to be taught and instructed by you. Your word is alive, active, and, and we ask that, that your word as it's proclaimed and declared to us would do uh, the miracle of transformation and, and revealing to us who you are and, and what you've done for us and who we are because of those things and then how we're to live how are we to live? We, we ask that you would show us that through your word today, that you would, you would show us areas in our lives where we have been blind, where we have not seen what is truly the case, and by your Holy Spirit, you'd lead us to repentance, and that you would lead us into a new kind of life in Jesus. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, in this passage that, that we just read, we, we find Jesus in the middle of a confrontation, uh, as, as we often see him in the Gospels. He's in this confrontation with the religious leaders in Israel. It's a group called the Pharisees. And basically, everything Jesus does and says bothers the Pharisees. And it's not just like a personality preference. Like It, it really bothers them to the point that they are the driving force behind him being crucified. So it's like a real, genuine dislike. Why, why did the Pharisees dislike Jesus? Why did they oppose him? And, and the simplest way to, to say it, I think, is because Jesus is the real and, and the Pharisees are the counterfeit. 
So, so by Jesus showing people this is what God is really like, this is who he really is, their counterfeit is exposed. And of course, people don't like that, right? So, so they, are, they oppose Jesus. He's the real. They're the counterfeit. What they've been offering to people about God, it's like this contaminated or watered down version uh, of who God is. And Jesus comes in and he's speaking about the kingdom of God. He's showing what the kingdom of God looks like in reality. And, and it just exposes the Pharisees as these, as these frauds, as these fakes. So, so that's what's happening in this moment. And Jesus is saying, if, if you were a healthy tree, the fruit of your life, the fruit of your ministry, the things that you say and do, it would, it would be revealed in, in what grows out of your life. It'd be, it'd be revealed in the people who, are, who you're teaching and who are learning from you. And it's not. What's happening through, through the Pharisees is unhealthy. It's bad fruit. And, and so this whole section here in verses 33 through 37, Jesus is, is confronting them with that. You're unhealthy. You're evil, he says. But I, what I really want to do is focus in on just, just one phrase of what Jesus says in this passage in verse 34. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, what, is, what does Jesus mean here? He says that, that what we say is a reflection of what we love or what we value, what's important to us. So, so the words that we use, the things that we say, they are an overflow of, of what is important to us, of what, what we prioritize. So um, the, this phrase that Jesus uses, out of the abundance, it's, it's meant to give us a picture. Just imagine a cup that is full to the brim and, and more is being poured into it. So it's just overflowing over the sides of a cup. This is what happens every time your kid goes to the sink to get a drink of water. They don't just put half of it in there. It's just spilling, and they still are walking around with it. So that's what's happening. The, the overflow, the abundance uh, of, of this cup, it's spilling over. Now, now if you, you take that picture a little bit, you think of your life as a cup that is full most of the time, we're, we're okay, pretty good at keeping our cup upright and steady. Uh, but, but what happens when life happens and your cup gets bumped, right? Something, something happens. What spills out of the cup of your heart and comes out of your mouth, what you say, what you you do. Is it a blessing or is it a curse? So, so it could be, you know, you're driving along and you maybe not literally get bumped, but somebody does something that you don't like. Your cup has been bumped. What spills out of you? 
you know, I'm not great at this right here. Like, it's, it's very revealing. It's very, uh, it shows us what's really going on inside of us. So, and it, it, could be, it could be anything, you know. What happens when your cup gets bumped when you're in a, in a relationship with someone? When, you, when you're with people, it's your children, it's your roommate, it's your coworker, it's somebody who's part of your church family. Your cup is constantly getting bumped. What Jesus is telling us is that what comes out of us through our words is an indicator of what we love and what we value, what we really, truly, deeply care about. And so if you want to declare Jesus with your words, if you want Jesus to be what overflows and comes out of your cup when it is bumped, you have to love him. You have to love him with your heart. You have to, you have to value him. He has to be important to you because without a genuine love for Jesus, a delight in Jesus, that if we talk about him, if we, if we speak of him, it's not, it's not genuine. It feels hollow. It can be exposed in his uh, really wonderful book, Delighting in the Trinity, this author, Michael Reeves, he says, if I don't enjoy Christ, I won't speak of him, or perhaps worse, I will, but without love and enjoyment. And if my mouth does give away my heart, people will hear of an unwanted Christ. And who would want that? We see this connection between our heart and what comes out of us, what, what we speak of. And if we're speaking of Jesus out of a heart that doesn't love him, we're going to reveal him as an unwanted Christ. And who, who's going to be drawn to that? Who's going to be attracted to a Jesus like that? Now, we've already spent a whole week on the topic of, of delighting in Jesus and enjoying him. So I, I, don't, I don't want to retread all of that ground that we've already gone over. If, if you want to, you can go back and listen on the podcast or find that on the website. But, but it must be said again that, that everything in our Christian life comes back, comes back to our love of Jesus, our affection and our delight in Jesus. That's always, always going to be the root of what's happening in our lives, of what comes out of our lives through our, the things that we say and the things that we do. So when we talk about declaring Jesus with our words, we're ultimately talking about declaring who and what we love. If we want to declare Jesus truly and effectively, we have to love Jesus. Next, if we want to declare Jesus, we have to know Jesus. We have to know Jesus. We have to know who he is. We have to know what he is like. We have to know what it is that he has done. And, and in a lot of ways, this is connected to what we talked about last week with, with discipline. So we study 
the scriptures. We learn through hearing the preaching of God's word. We can read and, and learn, or uh, we can listen. Maybe you're an audiobook person. You can, you can read or listen to books that help us grow in our knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is, what he's accomplished. So like next week, we're starting this Sunday evening Bible study. It, it's intended to help us know the, the story of God in a deeper sense so that we can know Jesus more, uh, more thoroughly in, in a way. So, so we'll spend nine weeks, uh, and, and that means we'll, we'll be spending time reading individually. We'll spend time together discussing things, praying together, happening individually and in community. We're, we're disciplining ourselves, setting aside time in order to know Jesus. But, but when we talk about knowing Jesus, we're talking about more than an intellectual process. We're talking about something more than, than just um, reading a book or, or watching a YouTube video or something. Because to know Jesus is not just to know about him. It is to know him. It is... It is to see that Jesus is not just a figure to be studied or examined. Jesus is a person to meet and to be in relationship with. So, so it's more than just knowing about him. It is knowing him. And, and the Apostle Paul, he, he once wrote a letter to a church in this city called Ephesus. And, and he, he tells them, this is how I pray for you. When I'm thinking about you, when you are on my heart, this is what I pray for you. He says in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning of verse 16, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now what is Paul saying that he's praying for? Something much greater than an intellectual understanding. Something more than just a, a grasp of the nature and the character of God that you could write down on an essay question on a test. He's, he's saying to them, when I pray for you, I pray that you would be deeply conv convinced that you are loved by God. That you would begin to see the fullness and the greatness of God's love for you. I want something when he prays for them. I'm wanting you to understand something that is beyond understanding. And I want you, uh, something that really doesn't make sense on paper to become real to you, that it would become something that you believe in. Now, what doesn't make sense about the Christian life? Well, all of it. <laughs> I mean, think about the gospel. What doesn't make, all of it doesn't make any sense. 
uh, <laughs> it begins with something. The, the, the underlying assumption of Christianity begins with something that does not add up. That the, the holy God of the universe would love and pursue those who had set themselves against him in rebellion. Why? There's no logical reason for that. When we say, as, as I love this phrase, there's this author named B.J. Thompson. He just says this over and over again in his writing. I am a mess and yet deeply loved by God. When we say that, when we, when we rehearse that, when we know that, we are saying that, that I know something, I believe something that doesn't make sense, that doesn't add up. I believe something that is unbelievably good. You know that experience in your life when, when something incredible happens, something that you were not expecting, something that you never thought could come to pass, and, and you say, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I can't believe it. And why do we say that? Because it seems too, too good to be true. And, and the love of God is that times infinity. It's too good to be true. And yet Paul says, I pray for you to know that and to comprehend it and to just get a sense of how deeply loved by God that you are, that you could know him. Now, we hear that and we say, okay, like, yes. <laughs> I, I want to know God like that. I want to know the love of Jesus in that sense in my life. But, but doesn't it feel a little difficult to, to do it, <laughs> to practice that or to, to carry it out? Because we're, we're basically given an impossible task. Know, knowing God, the creator of the universe, understanding this transcendent, eternal being who's, who even says in the scripture that his, his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways. How can we know him? We can know him because he came into the world. John chapter 1 verse 18 says, Jesus is how we can know God. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. John is telling us that Jesus has made God known to us. In Jesus, we're finding out this is what God wants us to know about him. This is what he wants us to understand about him, that he, he came to be in relationship with us. He came to pursue us, to give himself in our place so that we could be his, so that we could belong to him. As J.I. Packer says, all my knowledge of him, of God, depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. We can know God because God wants us to know him. And because he, he wants to know us, he wants us to know him, he wants to be in this reciprocal relationship with us. So when we're talking about knowing God, knowing Jesus, understand that, that we're only doing that because 
he has made it possible, that, that God wants us to know him. His initiating love, his sustained initiative in knowing us. If we want to speak well of Jesus, we have to love him and we have to know him. And next, we have to prioritize Jesus. If you, if you want to love and know Jesus and you want to speak well of him, we must prioritize him. We must prioritize him. And, and then the follow-up question is, well, how do we prioritize Jesus? What does it look like? And it, it basically means that we have to structure our lives in a way that actually proves that Jesus is important to us. We all have priorities in our lives. You all have a, a, a series or a list of things that are important to you. And, and what I have found over the, over the years, and sound like an old person, um, <laughs> I'm getting there. What, what I have found over the years is that we have two kinds of priorities. We have, we have the ones that we say are our priorities, and then we have the ones that are actually our priorities. Um, and, and I think you know what I'm talking about. You, if, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you follow Jesus, you would say, my priorities are God. Uh, you know, if I'm married, my, my spouse is my next priority. And then, um, you know, I've got my, if I have children, those would be next. And then the community that I'm part of, and then there's work and there's other stuff. That, but it's, it's God, family, community on down the list. And everybody has the same priority list because you heard it at a conference or something. I don't know. Um, But what are your actual priorities? Here's how you can tell. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? And what do you think about? When you have when you have nothing else to do or to think about and you, your phone, you forgot it in the car or something, so you have to be faced with the dreadful reality of your own thoughts, uh, what do you think about in those, those moments? Those are the things that have priority in your life. Those are the things that you love. Those are the things that, that have top billing in your heart and in your life. And, and just... Just examine yourself. Think about what you are into, what interests you. Uh, when I was in high school, I was into surfing. And my mom is here. She can testify to this. I surfed pretty much every day. And I, I had subscriptions to two surfing magazines, and I read them all the time. And I watched surfing videos, and I went surfing with my friends, and then I started teaching other people how to surf and here's, here's the real revealing thing, is that, that I talked about surfing all the time. It was just constantly what I was talking about all the time, surfing, surfing, surfing. And, and I could have said, if somebody asked me, my priorities are my education and God, I don't, you know, or my job. I had a job in high school. Uh, maybe my priority was figuring out how to talk to girls. Uh, but But anyone who listened to me talk for five minutes would know what was really the most important thing in my life. It was surfing. I loved surfing. And and I knew about surfing. And I was learning more about it all the time because it was my priority. And, And 
and I had to discipline my life in such a way without even trying so, so I would say no to things that would get in the way of me surfing more. So no, I don't want to go do that because this is what's important to me. This is, this is what I want to do with my life. And I would spend every minute of my free time and all of my money on surfing. And, and all of this spilled out or overflowed in what I talked about. Surfing was the overflow of my heart. It is what I loved. It's what I valued. And, and you could tell because that's what I talked about. If you want to declare Jesus, you have to make him your priority. And, and it's important that, that you notice that I said priority, not, not one of your top priorities. Jesus has to be your priority. It's interesting that the, the, the uh, root of the word priority means very first thing. And, and somehow we've pluralized that to be many first things. Uh, and, and we think that we can have many top priorities, that we can multitask, that we can, we can do it all. And, and it leads to this life. Uh, Greg McEwen, he's an author, he's, he calls it a, a millimeter of progress in a million directions because we have so many priorities. But if you want to really grow in Christ, if you want to follow Jesus with, with your life, you have to make him your, your priority, singular. Jesus, Jesus isn't part of your life toolbox. He's not something you get to bring out when you have certain needs or, or difficulties in your life. Jesus, Jesus is the foreman, and he says, this is what you're working on today. This is, this is what we're going to focus on. He's in charge. He's not something that we get to, to put away at the end of the day and, and say, okay, if I need you tomorrow, I will, I'll make sure I come back here. I know what to do with this tool. Jesus is to be our priority. And when Jesus is our priority, we will talk about him. We will speak about him, if he's important to you, if you love him, if you know him, if he has the first place in your heart and life, Jesus will spill out through the things that you say. So finally, we must speak of Jesus. If, if we're disciples of Jesus, this is a matter of obedience, not a matter of preference. We must speak of Jesus. We don't get to decide whether or not we are going to talk about Jesus with our words, we are commanded to do so. This is a very well-known passage of Scripture. We call it the Great Commission, where Jesus says, this is your priority. <laughs> I'm giving you this priority. I'm setting this up for you. Here's your, here's your job. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So in order to walk in obedience as followers of Jesus, we have to speak about him. We have to teach others about him. And in order to teach people, we have to tell them things. We have to communicate things about Jesus. This is what he's like, and this is what he has done for us. And I, just reflecting on this a little bit, 
You think about the church in North America and our relationship to the culture at large around us. We, we're at a place where we have put almost all of our focus on displaying Jesus to people through our actions. So we want to live a genuine life that people can look at and say there's something different about that person. And maybe we like that saying from from St. Francis of Assisi where he said, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. Just a little side note, I I like to point these out sometimes. St. Francis of Assisi didn't actually say that. Uh, so, So you can do a little research on that. But but the sentiment we appreciate, right? Preach the preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. And it is true. We we our lives should display the truth of the gospel. And and that's what we're talking about next week. We're gonna spend a whole week talking about our actions, our lives, our conduct. But but this is not an either-or situation. We, we have somehow turned this into you have to pick one or the other. You either talk about Jesus or you live a life that, that points to Jesus. But, but we should not have to do one at the expense of, of the other. They should actually work together. They should be in concert with one another. So, so we have to declare the gospel with our words, with our communication. We must speak of Jesus with our language. This is, this is our calling. This is our task. Again, the Apostle Paul in Romans 10, he says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Everyone who, who puts their faith in Jesus will be rescued. They will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they haven't believed? How are they going to know that salvation is available to them in Christ? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? We have to communicate the gospel with our words. People are not going to learn who Jesus is through just being around us. Osmosis doesn't apply to salvation. We have to tell people about Jesus. So how then do we speak of him? How do we do this? I I love this phrase from Jeff Vanderstelt. He's a pastor and a writer up in uh, Seattle. He says, we have to become gospel fluent. Uh, we, We have to love Jesus. We have to know Jesus. We have to prioritize Jesus. And if we do that, we will naturally speak about Jesus, that that Jesus and and the gospel they become like our native tongue, our first language. So so we'll just finish up by by looking at what does this look like? What does it look like to become somebody who's who's fluent in the gospel? So so as as disciples of Jesus, you say I'm I'm a follower of Jesus. We are also we're called to speak Jesus to other Christians. Uh, that's that's a commandment as well. We have to speak the gospel to one another, declare the good news of Jesus to each other, because the gospel is not just the entry point into the community of Jesus. It is, it is the, it's the A to Z. That's what Tim Keller says. 
The gospel is not the ABCs, it's the A to Z of the Christian life. So, so we don't just leave the gospel behind now that we're in, in the Christian community. We continue to speak the gospel to one another. So, so if a, a Christian brother or sister is caught up in a sin, we speak Jesus to them. God loves you. Jesus gave himself for you to set you free from sin. You're no longer bound, enslaved to sin. So so you have freedom in Christ and you need to exercise that in repentance by turning away from this sin. We speak that to each other. We can't just be around somebody long enough and hope that they'll get what we are thinking. We have to say that in love. Speak the truth in love. When a, when a brother or sister in Christ is discouraged, we speak the truth of the gospel to them. You are a mess, and yet you are deeply loved by God. When a brother or sister is immature and they annoy us, just me maybe, no, we speak Jesus to them. We can't just expect someone, you know, do you yell at your baby for barfing? It's like, no, they're a baby. I hope you don't yell at your baby for barfing. It's just doing what happens when it's a baby. So, so if a brother or sister is immature in Christ, we speak the truth of the gospel to them and we, we linger with them. We, we help them grow through, through speaking Jesus to them. And, and so much of what we do in community uh, is, is to declare Jesus to one another. So think about what we're doing today when we gather together. We're singing songs. We, we're not just standing here listening to, to Greg sing, which is nice, but, but, but the beauty of gathering together is to, to sing together, to hear one another's voices declaring the gospel to ourselves and to each other, or, or we, we pray together, we read scripture together, we listen to the declared word of God together, we, we teach one another, we, we disciple one another, we correct and we challenge and we encourage one another. What are we doing? We're speaking Jesus to one another within the family of Jesus. And, and I think this is one of the greatest gifts and one of the most important responsibilities that God has given to us, as Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, to speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, right? We speak the truth in love to, to, to each other, and we grow up in our knowledge and understanding and love for Jesus, which is what's going to spill out into our Word. So, so as followers of Jesus, we're called to speak the gospel to other Christians, to other believers, but we are also called to speak Jesus to those who do not yet love him or know him. And, and we have a word for this. We call it evangelism. It's telling the story of Jesus. It's the good news to people who have, who have either never heard it or who have not yet believed it. And, and Evangelism is hard, right? That's probably the first thing you think of. You're like, oh, I knew he was going to talk about this. Uh, it's, it's hard. It's difficult to talk about following Jesus to people who don't believe in him. Uh, here's a little secret, though. It's not really as hard as we think it is. <laughs> it's not really as hard as we think it is because we think worst-case scenario, right? Like someone's going to find out we're a Christian and they're going to be like, do you believe the Bible is true? 
Do you believe in Jesus? And we just have this figure in our mind of some like frothing at the mouth atheist who's just going to like ask us about the Crusades and like every bad thing that Christians have ever done in history. They're going to be angry and bitter and some Christian has done something terrible to them in the past. And It's true, there are people who are in that place in their lives. And I've had those conversations before. And they're not like the funnest. Um, But you can actually build friendships with people who are in that place too. Like, it can happen, because I've I've actually got to participate in in friendships like that. And, And you can equip yourself to be ready to have conversations like that. You can you want to speak about Jesus boldly and with confidence and with with some measure of skill and there's books like um Sam Chan has a book called Evangelism in a Skeptical World and and Tim Keller's written a couple books called The Reason for God and Making Sense of God which are really helpful in having those kinds of conversations but but here's here's the truth that Most people do not need you to be an expert in Christianity to talk to them about Jesus. Most people are not going to bring up, you know, the hardest question you've ever heard in your first conversation about Jesus. They they just need you to talk to them about Jesus. They don't... They, they need you to speak the truth of who Jesus is and, and what he's done for them in a loving, gracious um way that makes sense to them, right? There's, there's really no one-size-fits-all for this, but if you know somebody and you've spent time with them and you've listened to them, you'll know how to speak Jesus to them. And the Holy Spirit is with us, showing us, here's, here's how you can speak to this person about Jesus. And, and this is more than just like putting a verse up on Facebook or Instagram. Like, that's not, that's good, it's fine, but it's not evangelism like, like we're called to do, like we're called to talk to people in a specific sense, to, to tell them about Jesus, because they need to hear that God loves them where they are at. They need to, they need to know that he is gracious and that he forgives sin and that he's made a way for them to be a part of his family uh, along with other people who are not perfect people. They just need to hear about Jesus. If someone comes to you and, and they're like, you know, you're just like a really good person. Like you, you, you know, you have, your life seems like it's, it's going well for you. Why is that? If all you tell them is that you just feel like it's the right thing to do, you've missed an opportunity to speak Jesus, to declare Jesus to them. And and so look for those moments and listen for those moments and ask the Holy Spirit to give you opportunities like that where people will come and say to you, I see some changes in your life. I see some things that have happened. You've gone through some difficult things and yet I see that you are still at peace or you have some measure of of stability in your life. Why is that? And then you can speak Jesus into those moments because people are in pain, people are, people are broken, and people need to hear the beautiful news of the gospel of Jesus. Ultimately, to speak Jesus to people is to show, is to love them. And I'll, I'll finish with this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. That means we, we stand as representatives of Jesus in the world today. God is making his appeal through us. When you tell people about Jesus, God is speaking through you to tell them his good news about Jesus. And that is a beautiful, awesome privilege. So love Jesus, know Jesus, prioritize Jesus, and speak Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that the reason we're here today is because someone told us about Jesus. In some way, we heard the gospel. Maybe it was some radio preacher. Maybe it was a story that somebody read to us when we were a kid. Maybe it was a person in high school who, who took the risk to have a conversation with us. Maybe it was through hundreds and hundreds of conversations. But we are all here because somebody told us about Jesus. And I pray that our, our gratitude for, for who you are, our love for you, our, our joy in you would spill over into us being the kind of people who speak about Jesus daily, regularly, that it becomes our natural language, our instinct, that when, when our cup gets bumped, that Jesus is what spills out through our words and through our actions. And I pray for each one of us. There are people in our lives that we will see tomorrow, maybe even today, who need to hear about Jesus and that you would compel us, that you would, you would give us a love and a, a longing to see that person meet Jesus and that we would speak to them, that we would, we would use the words that you've given us to talk out of our own experience, to share, share the beautiful news, Jesus of who you are, that you love us and that you came to save us from our sin and that we can, we can be part of your family now through what you've done. Could we share that beautiful news with someone even, even today and that you would continue to give us opportunities to speak Jesus uh, both to, to people who don't know you and to each other and that this is something that we can continue to grow in as we follow you, Jesus. We love you. And we thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen.